0: Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to The Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I wanna thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just wanna ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member, so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen. And we pray that you are blessed. So today we're continuing with this series called Pivot. And I just want to say on the front side that today's message um, is one where I'm going to be talking specifically about sex and sexuality and, and lust. And so if you feel as though, you know, you have young kids who are, you know, Five, six, seven, eight, and maybe now you don't want them exposed, maybe four or five, then I just want to give you a heads up. It it will be clean. Don't worry. The message will be clean. But I just really feel that right now, God, um, he's calling us to pivot towards purity. That's right. You and I, men and women, that we have to pivot towards purity, And so I just feel that God is calling me to address this 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 morning. And so I just wanted to put that out there for all the parents. I want you parents to listen to this, and I do believe that kids should understand you know, sex and sexuality, but as, as the parent, it's, it's, it's obviously your discretion um, to, to, to use to know when is, a, is appropriate time to have those conversations with them. But I will just say this, is that um, if you don't introduce it to them in a healthy way, uh, you better believe the world's going to introduce it to them. Right. And so just understand that we're here to support you in however we can as a church, as you are raising and growing your kids and and helping develop your kids. But today's message will specifically be about how God is calling us to pivot towards purity. So before we jump into the word, I just want to start with a, a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you so much for this opportunity that you've given us to seek your face. I want to thank you so much for Oh, this week that we've been through, there have been some challenges. I know some of us have lost loved ones this week. Man, God, our heart goes out to them. We pray for your peace to rest upon them. Some of us, God, have lost jobs, been furloughed this week. It appears as though the COVID virus isn't going away. It's it's still around. It looks like it's kind of getting worse. Many of us feel uncomfortable with the mask that we have to wear and just all of the hoops that we have to jump through. Some of us probably feel like it's unnecessary. God, we just want to surrender everything that's going on in this world to your hands. We want to surrender our response to you and just ask that you would lead us, that you will lead us as a church, that you will lead us as families, that you will lead us as individuals, that you would have your way and we'll bless you. God, as we open your word, open our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen amen so so today i'm wearing my my warrior my warrior manna uh shirt because i believe more than ever right now god is calling us both men and women to be warriors in our families in our homes in our private lives in our personal lives um in our sex lives in our financial lives in our health lives that he is calling us. He is looking for men and women who will be on the battlefield, who will recognize that we are living during a spiritual crisis that the world is spinning out of control. And he's looking for men and women who will stand up and say, you know what? I am a warrior for Christ. I will fight the good fight in my family for victory, in my home for victory, and my community for victory. I won't sit on the sidelines. I won't fall asleep at the steering wheel of my life I won't fall asleep at the steering wheel of my family but I will remain engaged I will remain focused I'll make sure that there are no internal distractions that are gonna prevent me from being able to make the right decision for my family and for my life I'm gonna make sure that I'm aware of what's going on externally around me and I will ensure by the power of God and through the through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit that I will steer this car in the right direction towards success and victory so I got my warrior gear on today, and I really want to just, I really want to talk about and encourage us as we think about what God is calling us to do and how he's calling us to live as warriors that we can experience Spiritual victory in our sex lives. That's what we're talking about. How that God is calling us to overcome lust. He's calling us to overcome pornography and masturbation. That he's calling us to overcome adultery and fornication. That he's calling us to live holy, pure um, lives before him. And so I want to talk about it. And so I got my gear on and that's why I'm rocking this this sweater uh, cut off vest today because I want to fully embrace the warrior spirit that God has put inside of me. Now, as I was thinking about this message today, I couldn't help but think about about what it really means to be in this Christian race. Like we are in a Christian race. This journey that we're on, it's not a walk in the park. You know that. It's not just some uh, um, stroll along, you know, uh, uh, some peaceful river. You know that. We are literally in a race. In fact, Paul talks about how we are in this race. And I don't know, I, I, I've run a few races before. I should have brought my medals with me. I have a few um, medals from races that I've run, from a few half marathons, from a, not an Ironman. A, I want to do an Ironman. From a from a um, a a a tough mutter right which should never be confused with an iron man Um, but with a tough mutter i got a few medals i got a few things that i've earned along the way and i i personally have this love hate relationship with running right i do i gotta i gotta confess like i hate running but i love the feeling i get after i run right it's it's weird like when i put my shoes on and i start running i literally hate running but When I finish my run and I like calm down, there's just this, wow, I just, I feel good and I love it. And it's that feeling that really compels me to go out there the next day and do it again. Now, the longest I've ever run is a half marathon, which is what, like 13.1 miles, I think it is, 13 miles. Um, I did that half marathon, but I'm actually... uh, um, (laughs) I'm actually uh, in the process of training for a full marathon. I turned 40 this year, yes, I know. It's sad. I'm getting old. I turned 40 this year and when I turned 40 one of the one of my resolutions this year was before I turned 40 that I would run a full marathon so the date is set in October there's a part of me that hopes that they cancel it because of COVID so that I won't have to run it but you know I I want to run it and so I have this date October I think it's October 4th which is a Sunday and um, it's scheduled to be in I think Long Beach and to run this full marathon and so I have this Nike app and this Nike app it shows me like how much I should be running each week and how I should be training for this leading up to this this marathon, this 20, was it 26.2 miles that I'll be running. And uh, something that I realized early on when I started running is that if I'm going to run successfully, then I have to have the right equipment without a doubt, right? I got to have the right running shorts. I got to have the right running hat. I got to have the right running shirt. And I have to have the right running shoes now i can't stress how important it is to have the right equipment when you're going to go for a long distance run there's been a time where i was running in a pair of shorts like basketball shorts and let me tell you the level of chafing i experienced as a result of running in those shorts it was ungodly painful like it was painful beyond reason and i told myself listen i had vaseline and neosporin i was rubbing it all over trying to get trying to Ease the pain. It was super painful. You have you even have to have the right draws. Forgive me, you have to have the right underwear on if you're gonna go running just because of how your legs are running together and it don't mean to give you a visual but you all get what i'm saying here like it's you have to have the right equipment on there's another time where i was running in a shirt it was a f- shirt that a friend of mine actually made and it was a light breathable shirt i said oh man i'll go running in this shirt i went running like 3 miles and i came back and my chest particularly my nipples were like super chafed and super sore and i was like you know what never running in this shirt again so there's something to be said about the the, the type of equipment and clothes that you need to wear in order to successfully complete a run. But I don't think that there's anything more important than having the proper shoes. These are my running shoes, and these are Asics, and I went to a store uh, in Orange County, I think it's called Snail's Pace, and they fitted me for these shoes. They measured my foot. They had me walk on a treadmill to see what my gait was like. They had me take these shoes out and run around the block in them to see how they felt. And they said, you know what? These would be the best shoes for you. And you know what? A6, they make a good shoe. These are some good shoes. You quickly learn that when you're going to run, that you don't just go to Foot Locker and pick up some running shoes off the rack. Like, that's not what you do. But you actually want to get a good pair of shoes that really work for you. Your shoes are so important. Important when it comes to running a long-distance race, I have with me another pair of shoes these shoes right here um, These are called Lifters, And the reason why they're called lifters is because these shoes are specifically designed for individuals who are lifting weights, right? They are very hard, very hard sole um, so that it will give you a lot of support. Your ankle, your, your your heel is slightly elevated so that when you go into a squat, if you're squatting weight on your back, it gives you added support around your ankle, around your heel. It just really supports you. Like these are great shoes for lifting weights in if your feet are gonna be planted firm and not moving. These are horrible shoes to try to run in. Like, you do not want to run in these shoes. These are running shoes. These are lifting shoes. And the reason why you wanna make sure you have the right shoes on when you run is because for most runs and for most runners, it's a long, distance run like i could probably get away with running maybe 200 meters maybe one time around the track in these shoes like if you just said hey let's just do a sprint and these are the only shoes i had i could probably throw these on or even worst case i could probably throw my Tims on some boots on some raggedy shoes i got from 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 a rack off the shoe, shoe rack at some some grocery store i could probably throw those on and i could run down the block i could run a few laps around the neighborhood and you know two minute run and be okay Right? But if I'm going to go on a long-distance run, I have to have the right shoes. Because a long-distance run fundamentally is an endurance run. It's all about your ability to endure over the long haul. So you need the right equipment. And just like running is an endurance race, so too your spiritual journey is an endurance race. Your spiritual journey is an endurance race. It's not about how quickly you can get to the kingdom. It's not about how quickly you can overcome some sin. It's not about how quickly you can change your behavior. No, your your, your spiritual race is your ability to sustain over a long period of time a developing relationship with Jesus Christ. It's kind of like marriage. Marriage isn't a sprint. (laughs) Marriage is an endurance race. It's about you being able to sit back 25 years in, 35 years in, 40 years in, 50 years in, 60 years in, and still be with that same person. Your spiritual journey is an endurance race. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 24, and we actually dealt with this a few weeks ago, where he says, you know, he that endures until the end, he that holds on, he that endures in love, he that continues loving until the end. There's this idea that that your spiritual walk is indeed a a spiritual endurance race. I love how the author of Hebrews says it in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, and this is from the New Living Translation. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us. See, the author of Hebrews, if you understand Hebrews 12 comes right after Hebrews 11. And so in Hebrews 11, he 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 draws this list of all of these men and women, Abraham and Noah and Samson, all these men and women who lived mighty lives of faith, who because of their faith they overcame and they were successful and they were valiant and they they were victorious. Some of them died, some of them were translated, but they had this life of faith that really their life was characterized by by an endurance, by a willingness to hold on in spite of all hell breaking loose around them, they were willing to hold on. And so then when you fast forward to Hebrews and chapter 12, he says, because then now we are surrounded, right, in the audience, in the stands, we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses. He says, let us throw off, take off the shirt, take off the he says the lifting shoes take off all of those things that are that are slowing you down that are preventing you from reaching your spiritual potential take it off those things which are, which are becoming hindrances and barriers to you, take it off, he says. Those things which are keeping you from truly experiencing the depth and intimacy of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, take it off, he says. Don't go try to run an endurance race in some lifters, he's saying. Take it off. Take off all of those things, all of those sins which slow you down. And then he says, especially the sin that easily trips you up. He says, take it off and let us run the race that has been set before us with endurance. The author of Hebrews is calling us to be mindful of the equipment that we have on. He's like, listen, you're about to run an endurance race. Be mindful of the equipment that you have on. He says that we have to recognize that there are certain things that will make our life easier And there are certain things that will make our life harder. And so he says, especially set aside that sin that so easily besets you or that so easily trips you up. And today, I just feel as though one of the sins that so often trips up men and women in the body of Christ is sexual sin. And I don't, I don't come to you as one who is just preaching theory. No, I, I got some experience in this thing. Because me, like you, have, as a man, and like my men out there and women out there, have, have struggled with sexual sin. I've talked about it before. I can remember the first time that I actually was exposed to pornography. Uh, I was, I couldn't have been more than nine years old, 10 years old, maybe. Um, was at a friend's house, it always starts at a friend's house, was at a friend's house for a sleepover. And uh, this friend's father had a stash of magazines in the basement, kind of in the Raptors. And I guess the father didn't think anyone knew where they were, but his son did, my friend did. And so we were all over there. And when the parents were asleep upstairs, it was me and about five or six other guys, boys at the time. And we were being introduced to this thing called sex and pornography. The next time I was introduced to it was in high school and then again in college and it became more and more a part of of my experience, even as a Christian, even as a believer, even as someone who wanted to preach the gospel and declare God's word and felt a call in my life, this was was still a weight around me that was preventing me from running the race that God had set before me. Sexual sin is one of those sins that if you play with it, you will never win. And I just want to say that again. Sexual sin is one of those sins that if you play with it, you will never win. And don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that there's some sins you can play with and be okay with and there's some sins that are more deadly. No, don't get me wrong. Like What I'm saying is that Sexual sin will literally take you out. It, se- sexual sin is almost like, let me say it like this. Having sexual sin in your life is almost like trying to run a race, having the right shoes, but there being a small pebble in your shoe. Just small, insignificant. Insignificant. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that before where you put your shoes on, you lace them up, you tie them up tight, and you start on your run, and you're probably two, three blocks in, and all of a sudden you start to feel it. It's very small, in, imperceptible even, very small pebble. You start to feel it, and as, as, you, uh, as you run, uh, it, 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 it kind of... It becomes larger and larger, even though the pebble itself doesn't grow. But but because there's something in your shoe that shouldn't be in your shoe, it just has this effect of beginning to, over time, kind of mess with your gait and mess with your stride. And, and then the longer you run with this pebble in your shoe, that the pebble will eventually begin to uh, rub off the skin and blister, and, and, and it just gets really bad to the point where you have to stop. and potentially will have to exit out of the race because you have a pebble in your shoe that has now gotten so bad it has affected every part of your body. And the interesting thing about this pebble in your shoe is that no one can see it. No one can hear it. No one even knows that it's there. But it's there. And what this pebble in your shoe does is over time, it prevents you from running your best race. Sexual sin is that type of sin that no one knows is there but you and God. Your wife might not know. Your husband might not know. It might be something that you indulge in and engage in late night when everyone else is asleep, you're up on your computer or on your phone. It might be something that you only look at when you're out of town in a hotel by yourself. It might be some online relationship or maybe even some real relationship that no one knows around you. You're keeping it secret. It's hush, 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 and you trust the person that you're engaging with, and you think that no one knows, and it's not going to affect you, but just like that pebble in your shoe, over time, it will affect every single part of you. Sexual sin is one of those sins that should never be played with. Proverbs chapter five talks about it like this. And I just want to read the whole thing. Proverbs chapter five says, my son, and this is from, I think the New Living Translation says, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen carefully to my wise counsel. Then you will show discernment and your lips will express what you've learned. For the lips of an immoral woman are sweet as honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double edged sword, her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave for she cares nothing about the path to life. She staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't realize it. So now my sons listen to me and I would throw in my sons and my daughters because sexual sin isn't just something that affects men. It affects everyone. So now, my sons, listen to me, verse 7, never stray from what I'm about to say. Stay away from her. Don't go near the door of her house. If you do, you will lose your honor and you will lose to merciless people all you have achieved. Verse 10, strangers will consume your wealth. Someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. In the end, you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. You will say how I hated discipline. If only I had not ignored all the warnings. Oh, why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? I have come to the brink of utter ruin, and now I must face public disgrace drink water from your own well he says share your love only with your wife why spill the water of the springs in the street having sex with just anyone you should reserve it for yourself now i get it like this is totally countercultural like i need to put the emphasis on each one of those syllables it's totally countercultural because because The context that we live in today does not tell you to drink water from your own well. No. The context in which we operate today doesn't tell you to wait and to preserve yourself for your spouse. That's not the context that we live. The context we live today says you have needs. You're a young adult. Girl, fella, like, bruh, like, you need to be satisfying your needs. Get out there, show your oats, have fun, figure out what's the type of person you like to have sex with and which type of style you like to have so that when you do get married, you can show up in the bedroom and, and, and your wife, your husband will have no complaints because you, are, you have perfected the craft. That's what they tell us today. But, but, but what the biblical counsel is, is like, why verse 16, why spill the waters of your springs in the streets? Why let other people... Experience your goodness. Share your love only with your spouse. Verse 17, you should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife, let your spouse, this is me inserting just to hope you don't mind, let your spouse, husbands and wives, be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the spouse of your youth. She is a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral person, an immoral woman, or fond of the breast of a promiscuous woman? For the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. An evil man is held captive. And get this, he says that that if you if you if you desire to engage in this type of sexual promiscuity, kind of being with whomever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want. He's saying, listen, understand that the Lord clearly sees what man does. Like, you might be living in the sheets, but God sees exactly what you're doing, he says. And uh, and these things that you're doing, he says, they are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self control and he will be lost because of his great foolishness now I don't want to suggest that you're watching this and this may apply to some of you all it may not apply to some of you all I don't want to suggest that you're married and you're out there running in the streets, sleeping around with other people's wives or husbands stepping out on your husband or wife like that that there's a group I'm sure who have gotten caught up in that but then there's some of us where we've just been married we've been faithful to our spouse but yet late at night we're watching porn Yet, on our lunch break, we sneak away and we indulge in pornography online. Or we have these flirtatious conversations with our coworkers. Oh, it's just innocent. But yet we're engaging in inappropriate behavior, behavior that should not be coming of Christians. And the wisest man who ever lived says to us in Proverbs, Why would you do that? Sexual sin is a sin that speaks to our core. Many of us engage in sexual sin not because it feels good and we want to, but because of some wound or pain or issue that has happened in our past. And this is how we cope. This is how we process. This is how, this is our escape. Some of us feel as though we are no good, that that I'm only as good as I am desired by men. And so there are so many layers to why someone would engage, why you and I would engage in this level of just disregard for the person that Christ has called us to be. But I want to encourage you today that when I read this, when I read the text, that God places a premium on purity, that he places a holy premium on purity. He's saying to us, I'm looking for men and women who will be pure. Matthew says it like this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In Proverbs chapter 24, it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything that is in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. And then in verse 2, he says, Who can ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. That God is looking for men and women who in who are pure in their hearts. Not perfect. But pure. Per- perfect is a is a state. Purity is a direction. I want let me break this down. See some of us think, well, well as long as I don't so I don't look at it or you know there's nothing wrong with with r-rated movies that have heavy sex scenes there's nothing wrong with that but uh, you know the line that I draw is like hardcore porn so as long as I'm not watching hardcore porn then I'm okay and that's a line that we draw and I, I just want to um just kind of like bust that myth right now that that purity we think as long as I don't watch R-rated movies that I'm pure. Listen, purity is not a line that we draw in the sand that we say to ourselves, I won't, I won't cross. Purity is not a line that we draw in the sand. Purity is a direction that we are walking Purity is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment decision that I am going to move in this direction. So it's not how close can I get to the cliff before going over. It's I'm going to move, I'm going to live my life in a direction of purity. So that's why some of us, I just want to just decouple the, the idea of Purity and perfection being the same thing because perfection says I never make a mistake I never mess up that there is no impure thought that happens in me that I am that I am I am Perfect. I am flawless and I don't believe that God is calling us to sexual perfection. I believe that he's calling us to sexual purity. And purity, unlike perfection, doesn't say that I have never made any mistakes or doesn't say that I'm never tempted. Purity says I am moving. I am making decisions that will be that will be in my best interest. I'm making decisions that are going to that are going to be conducive for my spiritual growth, for my spiritual success and that will allow me to live up to my spiritual potential in Christ. I am moving in the direction of purity. And so it's not a, I, as long as I don't watch this type of movie, or as long as I don't go into this type of place, or as long as I don't have this type of conversation, it's every day, moment by moment, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life, and you show me, you lead me, you guide me. There might be some PG movies that God's like, you know what, that's not the one for you. If we treat purity like it's a line, then we'll say, oh wait, as long as it's PG, I'm good. But God might say to you, the Holy Spirit might say to you, no, nah, this, ain't, this ain't the one, this ain't the one, my child. And guy might be called. There may be some sitcoms, some stuff that comes on television that, that technically is not our, but God's like, this is not this is not the one for you. What I want you to get in your spirit right now is that God has plans and purpose for your life. God wants you to succeed, but you cannot succeed spiritually in your life. If you are holding on to the pebble in your shoe called sexual sin, it will derail you. And it's not to say that you can't do great things. It's not to say that you can't go on and be a great person. It's not to say that you're a bad person or evil person. It just means that you, that, that you will not be able to fully exercise your full potential in Christ. With hidden sexual sin. If, if you keep reading in Proverbs chapter six, um, this is this is this is what really backs up what I'm just saying. Let me just say it like that. In Proverbs chapter six, in verse twenty, it goes on my son obey your father's commands and don't neglect your mother's instructions keep the wo- keep the words always in your heart tie them around your neck when you walk their counsel will lead you when you sleep they will protect you when you wake up they will advise you for their command is a lamp and their instruction a light their corrective discipline is the way to life it will keep you from the immoral woman from the smooth tongue of a promiscuous woman don't let her don't lust for her beauty don't let her coy glances seduce you, for a prostitute will bring you to poverty, but sleeping with another man's wife will cost you your life. Can And this is the point, verse 27, can a man scoop a flame? Can a man scoop fire into his lap and not have his clothes catch fire? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? So it is with the man who sleeps with another man's wife. He who embraces her will not go unpunished. That is my point, is that when you trifle and you mess around with sexual sin in any of its forms, pornography, masturbation, um, fornication, adultery, any of its forms, sleeping with your boyfriend, sleeping with your girlfriend, heterosexual sex, homosexual whatever, whatever form it manifests itself in, that is outside of the context of a monogamous relationship between two individuals that have committed their life together in marriage, any type of engagement in in the sexual experience outside of that context, God is saying, "It, it will derail you. It will prevent you from fully living up to my ideal for your life. Now, don't get me wrong. Because I know some of us have been, unfortunately, we have been abused. We've been mistreated sexually by people that we have trusted. I'm not saying that if you have some type of sexual abuse or some type of sexual baggage in your past that you'll, you'll never amount to anything. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if the stone is actively in your shoe and you are actively holding on to hidden, you holding on to, not something that was done to you, but you are actively holding on to a sexual behavior, hidden sexual sin, that stone, that pebble in your shoe will prevent you from running the race that God has set before you. We see this. We see this throughout the Bible. We see that um, time and time again that sexual sin is a virus that corrupts the entire computer. It doesn't just affect one part. It affects the entire computer. We, we see this with David in, in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And I want you to read this on your own. 2 Samuel chapter 11, when David engaged Bathsheba. David, the Bible says, he went up onto his balcony and he was looking around and he saw a woman taking a bath down below, he called for her to come and his, David's servants told him that's someone else's wife. He said, it's all good, I'm the king, get her for me. He got her and she got pregnant and the repercussions, the the consequences of that sexual sin the child died that she was pregnant with. The child died. His family eventually turned against him. He lost the kingdom, and, and eventually he was restored, and eventually it worked out. But, but the, 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 the level of trauma and tragedy and headache that he went through as a result of what he did that one night, it was too great a price to pay for one fleeting moment of sexual sin. We think that we'll never get caught. We think it'll never happen to me. And you may never get caught. No one may ever find out. But God sees and God says, my child, I have so much more for you than what you are currently experiencing. And so what do you do when you are struggling with lust and sexual sin? Well, let me just throw some things out there. We know uh, recent studies have come out and shown that uh, a whole lot of people wrestle with this. A whole lot of Christians, Christian men and women, wrestle with sexual sin on some level. The question is, how do we overcome and what do we do? Well, I want to give you three things and I'm going I'm to let you go. The first is, is that, When it comes to sexual sin, I want you to understand fundamentally that Jesus knows. And and it's not a Jesus knows like he knows and he's mad. No, 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 no. Jesus knows. He knows what you and I deal with and are going to deal with. I, I love how it, it, Jesus frames it. Um, if you look at Matthew chapter 26, the entire passage of Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is going through the Garden of Gethsemane. He's approaching the Garden of Gethsemane and he's about to be tested. He's about to go through this, this horrible ordeal called the cross and die for our sins. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse 31, I just want to read it. It says, Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me for it is written I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered he's Jesus is basically saying he's like listen I know that all of you all are gonna leave me I know that all of you all are gonna abandon me I know that you're gonna get caught up I know that you're gonna trip and you're gonna stumble and you're gonna fall I know that when the moment is when the moment is pivotal and it's crucial that you're gonna get so caught up that you're gonna ah, you're gonna throw in the towel on me He knows. And I would say that that Jesus knows about your stuff. He knows our struggles, y'all. We can't hide it from him. We're doing ourselves no justice, no favor by trying to hide it from him. He knows what we're going through. He knows. In fact, Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says that while we were yet sinning, Christ died for us, that Christ isn't oblivious. And when we find ourselves caught in the act, Christ isn't like, oh, oh my God, what are you doing? I, I expected more from you. No, 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 no. That's not how Christ approaches us. Christ is like, listen, I know that my children, that you're going to struggle in this area. And so what I, what I want you to understand is that Christ knows. And yet, even though Christ knows, he still loves you. Oh, listen, I don't know about you. He still loves me. Let me just keep this thing real. Like, he knows and he still loves. He knows and yet he still knowing that the disciples will leave him, knowing that we are sinners, knowing that we will struggle, knowing that we at times will falter and fall. And yet he still went through the cross, recognizing that, listen, me going to the cross isn't based on your goodness. It's based on my love for you. Yes, I know you will struggle. Just like a, tr- a parent knows that their child will struggle with certain things, certain uh, proclivities, certain issues, certain ber- ber- barriers, certain challenges. Christ also knows. He knows. knows. And number two, he knows, and he is compassionate. There's a song that I often heard when I was growing up. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For your father up above, he is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see Be careful, little feet, where you go Be careful, little feet, where you go For your Father up above, he is looking down in love So be careful, little feet, where you go Be careful, little hands, what you touch Be careful, little hands, what you touch For your Father up above, he is looking down in love So be careful, little hands, what you touch And I don't know, as innocent as that song may be For some reason that song it just never I just never processed it, processed it well. It just always made me, it always left me feeling as though that there is a father up above who's looking down. And yeah, the song says he's looking down in love, but I always miss the love part. I always felt like, like he's like an angry parent about to slap my hand. And so I need to be careful, be careful, be careful, because I don't want God to strike me down. But God doesn't strike us down. Is he disappointed? I can imagine, because sin fundamentally disappoints him, especially when he has given us every access and every tool that we need for spiritual victory. When we choose to engage in sin, I can imagine that he is disappointed. But he looks down with compassion. We know this from how he treated the woman who was caught in asexual sin in John chapter 8. You had this woman who was caught in adultery, the very act of adultery. They stormed in. While she was in the act, they took her from the man. They brought her to Jesus, threw her down at the feet of Jesus and said, Jesus, this woman was caught in the, in the act of adultery. Now, the law says that we should stone her, but what do you say? And Jesus just looked at them and said, He that is without sin cast the first stone. And then he looked at the woman and he said, Where are your accusers? And the woman looked around and no one was standing there any longer. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. That when you find yourself caught in the act of sexual sin, whether it's online, whether it's with a person, whether it's just in your mind, when you find yourself caught in the act, understand that God does not condemn. But God has compassion. And then with his compassion, he says, now go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. So, number one, Jesus knows. He knows our weakness. He knows our frailty. He knows that we are prone and tempted to wander. He knows. Number two, not only does he know, but he is compassionate. He's compassionate. Number three, and my final point, is that if you want to overcome this struggle with lust, the lust of sexual sin, understand that Jesus knows. He knows I'm weak, okay? Ah, yes, he's also compassionate with me. So that creates a context in order for me to struggle and fall and get back up and keep going. But number three, if you want to overcome that your victory over sexual sin is, and I want you to hit, get this, I don't want you to miss this, that your victory over sexual sin is directly connected to your proximity to Jesus. Your victory over sexual sin is directly connected to your proximity to Jesus. That if you want to overcome, you have to make a conscious, intentional, deliberate decision that you are going to choose to remain in the presence of God every single moment Of every single day and so when I am tempted to engage or to watch or to look or to lust after something I have to pull myself from that moment and say no I want to I want to remain in the presence of God and I have to ask myself will this act will this thought will this thing will it draw me closer to God or will it become a barrier preventing me from getting closer to God like I had to make an intentional decision and listen I know that this answer isn't sexy listen I know this answer isn't like like some of y'all might be like oh that's it, like there's not some secret formula or some fairy dust or some potion I could drink or some water I could have that would just immediately cure me of this sexual sin problem. There's not some prayer I could pray that immediately God will take away my desire to want of lust after any other individuals. No, I'm sorry. It's just it's not like that. You and I, we were born with the sin nature. It's ingrained in the very fiber of our being. It's woven into our DNA. And the only way that we can overcome this thing is if we are born again. If God through His Holy Spirit comes and gives us a new mind, a new heart, a new soul, a new being, and that happens as a result of us dwelling and staying connected to the vine of Jesus Christ. That is the only way I'm I'm reminded of Genesis in chapter 39, where Joseph himself was in Potiphar's house. Read it. Joseph was in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife, the the wife of the master of the house, Joseph was a slave now. The wife looked at Joseph, and Joseph was fine. Joseph was strong. Joseph was ripped, had a six-pack, and the wife said, you know what? I want Joseph. I want to sleep with Joseph, and she came at Joseph time and time and time again, and Joseph Kept pushing her off and pushing her off and saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. And finally, it just comes to a head in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 8, where Joseph, he kept on refusing. He kept on refusing. And then in verse 9, he says, no one is, this is what Joseph says. He says, no one is greater in this house than I. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. And then Joseph says this, because you are his wife. That's the only reason why he's kept you from me, is because you are his wife. Then Joseph says, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph didn't say, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against Potiphar? He didn't say, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against myself? He said, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against my God? It was almost as if Joseph recognized that no matter where I am, no matter what the situation might be, that God is always present with me. And I don't want to do anything that's going to cause God to not want to be with me. I want to remain in a perpetual state where I am connected. To the vine. So I just want to ask you, my my brother out there. I just want to ask you, my sister out there. Those of you who are struggling, who you might not be indulging every moment, three or four times a day, but you might be indulging once a month and then maybe twice a month, and you might go three or four weeks pretty good, and then you have one night where you binge. Like I'm talking to you, my brother, my sister. Like like my question for you is, how close are you to Jesus? How 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 close surrendered are you to his will? Have you pivoted towards his presence in those moments? I want to tell you that if you want to overcome, if you want to succeed, if you want victory in your spiritual life over sexual sin, that when you see sexual sin knocking at your door, you got to pivot hard towards that thing, towards the presence of God. When you see sexual sin driving down the road, that you got to make a pull, a hard U-turn, and you have to pivot towards the presence of God. That might look like you turning on a worship song, right? Some elevation worship, some hill songs, some Bethel, some John P. Key, Fred Hammond. I don't know, Relove, praise, and worship. Find us on Facebook. Like, like, like it might you turning on some words. It might look like you getting your opening the, your, your phone and calling a friend, an accountability partner, saying, Hey man, listen, I'm stronger right now. I just want to get in God's presence. Can you pray with me? It might look like you waking up your spouse and saying, Hey man, can we just have a word of prayer before we go to before we both fall asleep tonight? I don't know what it looks like, but but what I want to encourage you to do is to make a conscious, intentional decision that you are going to pivot towards the presence of God in the pivotal situations that you face, as it relates to your sexual purity. Ah <sighs> Because there is too much at stake. There is too much at stake. And God has called you to run this race. With endurance. And so the author of Hebrews in chapter 12, we started the sermon off with that text where he tells us, set aside all of the sin, all of the pebbles that easily trip you up. We didn't read verse 2 though. Let's read verse 2 of Hebrews 12. He says, let us run the race of endurance, the one that God has set before us. Verse two, he says, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Jesus. If you want to have warrior manna, a warrior spirit, and you want to win the battle of sexual sin in your life, you have to keep your eyes on Jesus. I I wish there was a prayer that you could pray. I wish there was a prayer that you could pray that would rid you of all sexual desire and lust. But unfortunately, that prayer doesn't exist. But what does exist is something much better than a prayer. What does it exist is God's invitation to invite you into his presence every single day, every single moment. And by you surrendering your heart to God, recognizing the struggle, recognizing the issue that you can experience victory, even over sexual sin. Now, I just want to be honest with you, for some of you who this, 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 issue of sexual sin is not just something that you might stumble into a couple times a year, you know, once every six months. But for you, this might be something that you wrestle with daily, maybe even weekly, maybe even three, four times a day. There are some very real practical steps that you can take. In addition to staying in the presence of God, some of you all, you, you need to delete some phone numbers and some things off your phone. Maybe you should, you just can't be on social media. You need to delete your social media. There's a wonderful program called, uh, app called covenant eyes and covenant eyes is Essentially an accountability system where you would identify three or four people that will be able to see what you're looking at on your phone And if you go to any questionable websites if you open up any questionable apps Those three or four people will get notification that hey this person is looking at these things and it's it's a It's just another measure that will help kind of safeguard your house Yes, you want to 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 be connected to Christ and be in a relationship, but sometimes you also in addition to that you need to have some change the structures in the systems around you right you need to change your practices and so I would encourage you covenant eyes is one that I'm familiar with and one that I have used in the past I'm sure there are others out there that exists, other um, programs that will help you with regulating your electronic devices. Now, when it comes to individuals, you might have a coworker or a friend or someone that you're um, inappropriately close with, y- you need to be able to lean on other brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why the body of Christ is here. No man is an island. Your Christian experience, your Christian journey, and your Christian growth wasn't meant to take place all by yourself, but you need people. That's why we have life groups that you can look to your life group, maybe not the entire group, but you might say, hey, there's one person in my life group that I really want to call on. If you're a man, make sure it's another man. If it's a woman, make sure it's another woman, Individual of the same sex. Someone that you can depend on and, and, and lean on that can help you during those weak moments. I have them in my life. Spoke to my friend this week. Talk, called him. How are you doing? What's going on? How are you, how are you, how are you with your sex life and your, your purity? He asked me the same questions. How are you doing? I share with him my thoughts and what my my own struggles and together through accountability, we are experiencing victory, but it doesn't happen on its own. You have to make two intentional decisions. Number one, I'm going to get in the presence of God every single day, every single moment. Number two, saying to yourself, who, What system, covenant eyes, what person, accountability partner can I bring into my core life so that I can really be close to God and create a system that will keep me safe when I feel the temptation to to fall? Saints of God, I'm praying that you yourself would experience victory. And if you want to connect with me on a personal level, I would love to talk with you about it feel free to reach out to me, send me an email, send me a text message. Um, you can always t- text Family to 77222. We'll get in contact with you. We're here for you, right? We don't want anything from you. We want everything for you. And so my hope and my prayer is that in your life, no matter who you are, whether you're 15 or whether you're 75, 85, that no matter where you fall on that spectrum, that you would experience victory in every area of your life. That is our prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that in Christ we can have the victory. I thank you that your word did not not sugarcoat this issue, but you were real with us and you showed us this is nothing to be played with and that we can experience victory. God, my prayer is for every person under the sound of my voice that we might experience the victory that you desire us to have. So God, you know who's watching, you know who's listening, you know their struggles God, may they know that you know. May they know that you are compassionate and may they draw close to your presence. May they make a commitment every single day, morning, noon, and night, I'm going to seek the face of God. I'm going to remove some things from my phone. I'm going to delete some relationships that I have that are not appropriate. I'm going to surround myself with other brothers and sisters who are also walking in the direction of purity. God, may we do all we can in our power and then trust your Holy Spirit to do what he does in his power that we can experience the height of our spiritual grace and potential in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, we thank you and we bless you.